0: Hello everybody welcome to Typhoon Talks brought to you by Typhoon Consulting, a boutique management consultancy headquartered in Hong Kong. My name is Kelly Haasiacher, and I'm an analyst here at Typhoon. Today we'll be talking about the role Generation Z is going to play in the Asia-Pacific region. As attention shifts to the rapidly aging population we really want to shine the spotlight on Generation Z. So that's those born around 1995 to 2010. It's quickly becoming apparent that Gen Z is very different to Millennials. So we're gonna discuss the repercussions this will have on various sectors with Gen Z as both the customer and the future employee. So today I'm joined by Mr. David Stillman, a generational expert and best-selling author. He's part of the speaking and consulting team Gen Z Grew with his Gen Z son, Jonah. Welcome, David. Thank you. So David, just to provide an overview first, what are the general Generation Z characteristics?
1: Well, I think even before that, I just wanna get rooted in what is the theory behind generational differences in general, and it's that each generation experiences certain events and conditions during their formative years. And that sort of shapes a lens in which we look at the world. So that could be, you know, anything from, of course, a recession to, you know, an assassination. It just depends. So what you need to look at is what's really shaped Gen Z, and that's sort of a good way to go at it in order to really understand uh, who they are. One big thing is that everyone that most of the people we meet are still calling them millennials. I mean, and leaders, unbelievable. We get called on by everything from politicians to CEOs, and how many people just are assuming people ever under thirty are still millennials, when in fact the leading edge for our research with Gen Z is now twenty-three years old, graduated, and in the workforce. Um, a lot of you know consulting firms that we work with have summer interns and suddenly they're like yeah they are a different breeders it because it's a whole new generation and the risk we run is if we try to treat Gen Z like the Millennials it'll backfire it actually happened in the late 90s when Gen X showed up everyone tried to treat Gen X like the boomers and that's really what kind of put generational differences even really on the consulting map in general uh, so if we look at Gen Z You know, one big difference is that they were parented by Gen Xers. Well, if you want to understand the big difference, millennials were parented by boomers. And Xers and boomers, we know how different they were. So you can only imagine how different their offspring were. And You know, not better or worse, but definitely
0: different. So that's Um, really interesting how you were mentioning the the formative experiences. Because I've definitely, so the 1995 mark, I understand, is from... Uh, the repercussions of 9-11 and the ability to understand that from a uh, mental development stage. That's well, the- it's
1: actually, it's even more, 1995 was sort of the last year that anyone would know a world where phones weren't smart. Right. Um, it really is more about the internet than anything. So there's a, there's a difference between a digital pioneer, which extras and millennials really were, especially millennials, but Gen Z, they're digital natives. And that, for us, is another big signifier with 1995.
0: So, in terms then of the the global view, if we're yeah. looking at it in digital adoption and how integrated digital technology is in our lives, do you see a big variation in where Generation Z possibly starts around the world?
1: Not as much, because uh, especially you know, in on the Asian markets, technology, you know, has been definitely acquired at a young age. What you have really more of is the gap um, in Asian markets and in India between the have and the have nots is is wider. You have a lot more have nots, especially in India, in that generation, who you know just don't have the access to technology, um, as well as in China. And so I think that would be more of a difference we're seeing, is the gap between the have and the have nots being larger in those parts of the world.
0: So would they be considered another generation or, or a different aspect of the same generation? A different
1: aspect, you know, then you start really looking at which everyone does, it really becomes even more socioeconomic. You know, we're really working with businesses and the businesses aren't recruiting the population that's you know, unfortunately, not doesn't have the same education or maybe higher education, at like again, technological skills and so the market that we are really studying tends to be part of the haves.
0: Do these the have nots? Do they still come into a sense of uh, a marketing standpoint? What corp, how corporations sure. try to target them?
1: Oh, we study them for sure. I mean, I mean, if our data you know, does have we track you know at different levels of socioeconomic. Um, but when you're studying Gen Z, you're still looking at you know that's pretty much what are your ex parents? Right. But their socioeconomic is still based on know, how do your parents do, because a lot of them, you know, just now graduating college first or second year in the real world, so that's harder to study, if you see what I'm saying. So it's yeah. a bigger, deeper thing with really how your parents' social economics are doing. And one thing we know is Gen X, you know, there's a lot of studies that say during the recent recession, the Gen X, their so Gen Z's parents, their net worth fell by 45%. And so that is going to, let's dive back into what we are saying, is going to really show up in parenting. So Gen Xers parented the Gen Z kids really in more of a survival mode, telling them it's a tough world out there. You'll be lucky to get a job. And so when you get a job, like nose to the grindstone, your boss is going to be right, pay some dues, and get her done. And a big thing that Gen X just told the Gen Z kids was there are winners and there are losers. And so you now have Gen Z who, you know, all of our data shows they're willing to pay dues. They're willing to start at the bottom. Um, they're also extremely competitive. We haven't, I haven't seen this level of competitive drive really since the baby boom generation. So they're just super competitive generation. And that's a lot different than millennials. Backing up, millennials were raised by boomers. Boomers were raising millennials during the 90s. It was economic expansion. It was people were starting a business overnight. The tech boom. I mean, whoa. And so boomers were telling their kids, like, you can be anything you want to be. You can be an astronaut. You can be a CEO. You can do it. And so millennials walked in being like, guess what job you're lucky to have me. You know, the difference was Gen Z, they're being told you're lucky to have the job. Now, in due fairness to millennials, because I love millennials, is they're getting a bad rap and I think it's really unfair. Everyone's calling them entitled. We talk about them so much. Right. us be clear, the rest of us are the ones talking about them. And the other part, too, is that They came in, and they were told by their boomer parents, you know, you can be anything you want to be. You go ask for it. Your voice matters. They came in, and we labeled them entitled. And so millennials had a bad rap, but the challenge was, again, look how they were raised. If a millennial didn't get a job, what did their boomer parents tell them? Oh, that company, they're idiots. They have no idea what they're missing. You'll find someone who really knows how magical you are. Yeah. And an XR is telling their Gen Z kid, you know, hey, look, you know, what'd you do wrong? Fix it for your next interview. Uh,
0: In terms of then the millennials coming into the workplace and getting a bad rap, we've seen a lot of adjustment to what their specific needs might be and how to help them grow. What would be the changes that would be necessary to make sure that Gen Z can uh, reach their full potential?
1: Um, So let's just keep going what I was talking about. So now we've got a really competitive generation, right? Yeah. One thing heads up is that millennials are not competitive like this. Millennials are extremely collaborative. They're the type who love to, you know, work in a team, work in a group, and they're amazing collaborators. Now you're going to have a generation that comes in who's way more competitive. So, for example, open office. Who did we design open office concept for?
0: Millennials very much, yeah.
1: Absolutely. It's like a dorm room. You know, we can all sit together, work together, and tear down these walls. Only 8% of Gen Z likes open office. Now, I'm not saying we have to go build cubicle walls, but they're ideally gonna have a place where they can sit up, get some work done. They're fine socializing, working it all together, but we're gonna have to really work on creating private spaces again. And not to mention, work with millennials to be prepared that like we don't start labeling Gen Z as not team players, not being loyal, not nice. You know, yeah. that's true, they're just gonna be a little bit more independent and competitive. So that's gonna come down to, on one hand, space and how offices get set up, but also how we motivate them. Gen Z's gonna be motivated by competitive, like only the best rise to the top. We joke, but you know, for Gen Z, they often look at the workplace like Survivor, where like, hey, it'd be great if we're on a project, we could meet every Friday, vote off the dead weight, and let's keep going. You know, that's how they feel. We're millennials, you know, that we're only as strong, there's our weakest link. We can all do this together. And so I think that clash is something to prepare for.
0: In terms of just open office, it's really interesting that, uh, so I've been researching as well, the agile methodology, and a lot of it is also expressed in ideas like open office, collaborative work, just trying to eliminate the hierarchy. Do you think the incoming Gen Z will challenge some of the business methodologies popularized by the tech world?
1: No, I think they'll fit into whatever it is. I think they've always just sort of felt that you have access to everyone. You know, you do. And so, like, I think it's a matter of access. Like, so, like, I can have access to the CEO or someone around them. Like, I sort of think that is where the, you know, the hierarchies become more of a network. I, I get it. But I do still think they've been told that, like, someone has a final decision and your boss. So I think what you have a little bit more with Gen Z is sort of, you know, they understand that they don't get to make the final decision. That there is, you know, a boss.
0: Yeah. So that's uh, what they, how they might function in the workplace. But to get them into the workplace, what can corporations do to try and appeal to Gen Z? Are they going to have to change their recruitment strategy from how they've been targeting millennials? Hundred
1: percent. Yeah, hundred percent. So what do millennials want in a job? Well, so when I wrote my millennial book, the M Factor, and we ran all the data, the number one thing millennials were really looking for in a job was meaning, passion. You know, am I moving the needle on something? If I'm gonna go work every single day, I wanna be making a difference. I wanna, you know, be lighting the world on fire, and it's great. And suddenly, you saw, and you still do, you go to most websites today, and it's always about how you can change the world, how you're making a difference, and in whatever industry it is. Meaning was number one at the time. Pay was actually number six. So Gen Z comes along. The number one thing on their list, pay. Yeah. Saying so you know, like, look, I, I'm in survival mode. Now, they're not saying pay me, you know, um, unfairly, but, you know, I'm going to look for competitive pay for sure. Um, whereas with millennials, we used to be able to recruit a little bit easier with millennials sometimes on meaning. Being like, look, I can't pay what those guys are paying, but here's the difference you're going to be making here. And then the other thing was, and around here, here's where we can be more flexible and or we have a gym on site. And that was – then sort of trying to have a modern definition of work-life balance. And we adapted to the millennials with meaning and balance, where Gen Z, they're going to want to pay. They're going to really want to pay front and center.
0: Yeah, this is where you're saying they are willing to pay their dues comes back into play.
1: Yes, but you can't get them for free. I mean, yeah. if they're, you know, like that's the thing. And if they're talented and you know, they want to be paid fairly and if someone offers them more money, they're going to take that job. Yeah, for sure. So you might be like, where does meaning come in? Gen Z gets meanings a host of ways, you know, it might not be just do their job um, every day. You need to get enough meaning, but they're not looking to, you know, be Gandhi every minute like we found with the millennials and hats off to the millennials, because thank goodness they sort of reminded us why they go to work every day.
0: So yeah. in terms of work-life balance, does that still matter to Gen Z or is it fallen down the rankings a bit?
1: No, this is why I love Gen Z. I mean, this is probably my favorite thing about them is they just don't believe in work-life balance. And I gotta tell you, I've been studying the generations now for 21 years. And it's a topic that hasn't gone away and clearly we haven't fixed it, no matter if you do an onsite gym or whatever. And I, I mean, I've looked at so many companies that have so many progressive things and they look good in a brochure or even on site, but as part of the culture people, men are still considered wimps. You know, women feel they're being passed up on the mommy track, and so it's just, I'm not sure we've really ever cracked this nut at all, but along comes Gen Z, and here's what they're saying. You know what, like, why are you trying to say, keep it in balance? Well, we go to work from nine to five, and then you have your life, and yes, sometimes you gotta work late, and you gotta work hard then to keep it in balance. Gen Z says, it's about work-life blend. Work and life are seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So that goes two ways. If in the middle of the day at 2 o'clock, I'm leaving for whatever it is. I'm just gone from 2 to 4. You know, like, you're not going to really say anything. And because I'm not going to complain that I was there Saturday from 3 to 5. Right. It's sort of the job's going to get done different. And technology, getting back to that, is allow them to redefine Space and where we get jobs done. So it's sort of you know an office really is a little bit more about where you can log in and log on, you know. And so I think that's really why it's going to be different. And I like their definition of work life blend because I think that is the way we should all be looking at it.
0: In terms of also different work work cultures in different countries, do you think the work life blend will do? more to challenge perhaps the working culture in China or India or other Asia Pacific countries?
1: Only in that, where in America, they are measuring to be competitive, it's off the chart, and it's like, I like have never, in China especially, in terms of like how competitive they are. We're finding like more in China, close India, than America, and believe it or not, lagging was the UK. UK you know we did not we find that the gen zers in the uk for whatever reason are the least competitive
0: oh that's really not interesting sure I,
1: we're, we're trying to take a look at that so yeah pretty interesting so but like i so because of that level of competition i do think it's going to be a little bit harder but i do we do find that uh especially in the asian markets i think as the younger generations really do step into leadership, the use of technology is going to continue to redefine where work gets done, and I think that's going to really be able to play into the get more uh, ability to get to work-life blend. That being said, I want to be careful because there, I don't care even if I mean Gen Z considers FaceTime or Skype, you know, face-to-face because I'm still looking you in the eye, which I agree, you know, that is somewhat face-to-face. There is something to being together in an office, watching somebody with a client, watching people with their peers. You know, I like watching. For all the people that I've mentored or had in my company, I always have liked being able to see them at a an engagement, like in the same room. So, I hope we don't push the ticket so far where space and pace is defined. Where you know, yeah, I can see you, but you know, as soon as I click off, you're gone. So yeah, that's gonna be something interesting that we have to find a balance with Gen Z.
0: And I think especially as that there's, of course, potential in the future with technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality, but until that really spreads into the workplace, the face-to-face really eliminates things like body language, how you would move around a room, just the yeah. little things as well.
1: How you read a room, 100%. So going back to you know recruitment, you know another part of Gen Z is this notion of living in a hyper-customized world. But, I mean, let's make it simple, for my generation, I bought a CD. Hopefully I liked five of the 12 songs. Right. Gen Z likes all of their, because they make their own playlists.
0: Yeah.
1: They go to Nike.com and design their own shoes. They now go to college and can get their own custom major, you know? And so it's a hyper-customized world. So, I mean, it's a big difference. For a lot of the other generations during their teen years, the message was always do everything you can to fit in. This is a generation that grew up with the message was try to stand out from your hashtags, to the posts, to um, your feeds, Twitter feeds at the time. I mean, it's like, it was really, how do you stand out from the rest? And so that's a lot different than fitting in. And so this generation, everything's been hyper customized. So how will that play out in the workplace? They're not gonna wanna get some recruitment that's like, dear blank, you know, we're offering you X amount to work here, companies are really having to up their game in terms of customized invitations or, you know, colleges and universities for sure are doing that, whether they're sending, you know, a video or they're sending, we've seen, you know, tons of swag with people's names on it. It's just a level of customization has to be up. And that's a question that recruiters, you know, a lot of our workshops deal with is what can we do to make our pitch feel more customized? And sometimes it's, you know, literally just putting the person's name on it because they're that far behind. But other times the companies are getting really creative, which I like. Recruiters are also telling us that because of this hyper-customized world, it's harder to compare candidates because if you're like in the area of finance, there's usually going to be one of a couple of degrees, you know, it's going to be finance, you know, or maybe one other degree. Well, now you've got people with all these custom majors, um, it's just harder to know what they're what they're like. You can't just look at GPA anymore. Now, a lot of people will ask us, "Is a customizer, you know, trying to get an easy way out?" Actually, no. It actually is more work, but not just for the student, for the universities, but universities have realized they got to invest this work in order re- to recruit this generation. So universities are creating it, and now the workplace is starting to see it unfold in terms of resumes.
0: I can also imagine that in terms of the statistics around how many jobs even millennials and Gen Z are supposed to have in their lifetime that is crossing all the traditional boundaries.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think beyond the game, you know, with the around the world, if we look at sort of this hyper-customized world, it's just, it's a lot different. And I think, you know, one thing that we know that the rest of the world maybe isn't ready for is, you know, in China especially, they want things like the ability to design their own career path. They want to even be able to come up with their own job title. They want to be able to even be involved with the job description. And so companies are having to recruit a whole new way. No longer do you put a job description out, you know, all the things you need to be able to do. It's more of a a tease. Almost like, we're looking for someone to be able to help us in this area. Then people come in and they say, here's what I'm really good at. And the company's like, Oh, we need that. And they start designing jobs really to people because they start pulling all the skills that you know, they wouldn't have because they didn't put it in the job description. So this hyper customization is really impacting sort of how companies that are on the front edge of it are shaping their workforce.
0: I mean, I can definitely see that myself even from personal experience because I studied history at university. You have to learn how to sell it when you're trying to apply for jobs. And then you yeah. focus on the skills rather than the actual content matter.
1: Well, for sure. I mean, and usually people you know, at least when I went to college, who got an English degree or a history degree, you know, had a lot of talents and ended up in college just with a more of a general major. And those are people who, like we say, you know, they were able to do college. Whether or not, you know, their degree exactly mattered, not really, but most people today aren't even looking at that. That, again, is impacting Gen Z. 75% of Gen Z believe there's a way of getting a good education other than even going to college. I mean, my son's a perfect example. He had success with the book. He started to do a lot of lecturing around the world with me. Started meeting these amazing companies and said, Dad, you know, you go to college to either get credentials on what you want to do or figure out what you want to do, and I'm already doing it. Why would I go? And it's a really good argument. And baby boomers would have done anything to send a millennial to college, including going into debt. And that's what so many have done. Where Gen Xers are saying to their Gen Z kids, you know what, maybe you shouldn't go to college right away. And again, we're seeing companies that we work with, like LinkedIn, Intuit, uh, saying dropping their requirement to even have a college degree. And can you imagine, a baby boomer would never have imagined people getting the jobs that Gen Zers do without a college degree.
0: It's really, really fascinating what also oh, the repercussions just on an educational landscape, but then also the wider workplace. So we've been talking a lot about what Gen Z will be like in the workplace, but I know that a lot of them are still at home with families at school. So are there any behaviors that are expected to change as Gen Z moves from the family environment into the wider world?
1: Yeah, I mean, right now we're seeing a lot of things. Like, for example, uh, we do a lot in real estate and development and that. And we're seeing, you know, Gen Z, a return to a lot of like, almost like traditionalists the generation that came before the baby boomers. Home ownership, we believe, is going to be really high with Gen Z, part of it being the American dream you know, coming out of a recession, owning it, but also just being smart investors, being like, it makes so much more sense to own this, and I could always put it on Airbnb if I'm not here, than to rent it. So they're just smarter, you know, I think, and not because, a lot because they just had, you know, great more resources at their fingertips. The one thing we see, we can look at them too, is we've been talking about the Gen Z employee, but you know, the Gen Z consumer, you know, this is a generation that already people don't even realize have been impacting they have huge impact on their parents' purchasing decision, way more than millennials had in baby boomers. And again, a lot of that it comes down to technology. Boomers and millennials had a huge technological gap. You know, the boomers like would lean on their millennial kids to do anything from fix the blinking light on the VCR to, you know, download something. Xers and Gen Z way more tech savvy and have a lot more in common, from, believe it or not, music taste to even clothing. So. You know, you definitely see um, the younger generation, Gen Z, and parents having a way bigger influence. And Gen Xers admit they lean on their Gen Z kids to influence even big decisions. Cars, even a home, their kids are weighing in. So I would say the Gen Zers have been a customer for a long time. That being said, the brands that we are working with, you know, they're trying to figure out the Gen Z sort of mindset to get into it. There's some big ahas that people are having. One is that it's a generation of entrepreneurs at a young age, 14, 15, 16, this generation has their own business. And one reason is it's so easy for them to start a business. I mean, within two days they can have a website and LLC can be formed. They can have an 800 number that forwards to their cell phone, business cards in the mail, a website's up, boom, they're in business and they're figuring out how to make some money even at it. And so you know, if they walk into, you know, a, technolo- uh, a computer store or a technology store, a lot of times feel like, oh, they're in for gaming. No, they might be buying and coming to get, you know, QuickBooks. They're starting businesses. So a lot of smart brands are looking at this young entrepreneur, not like, you know, owning a cute little business, but truly selling them products that sole proprietors or freelancers uh, would be interested in. And it's working. So that's one, getting into the mindset, is this their business. But that being said, what we know on the whole is that this is a generation that likes to spend more on experiences than things. And that's going to be a huge shift.
0: I think we're definitely also already seeing it in travel, uh, and that's across Asia Pacific and the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, they have no problem dropping money on travel or dinner and you know but they'll have a harder time maybe buying a purse or something and there might be why because they associate the travel and dinner with time with family and friends when you come out of a recession and we continue to live in a scary world the value is going to be higher on that experience
0: so then in terms of marketing are they is there already a yeah, lot of data on them because they're of their purchasing power from very young.
1: Well, it's, I don't know necessarily who's listening. And so I don't want to insult some people because I mean, hopefully I'm not at a point where I'm making, you know, the statement you need to be on social media, you know, but beyond that, I'm seeing what the smart ones are really saying is what, and I guess, you know, where I see most people getting stuck is they'll be like, Oh, okay, great. Let's put it on social media. So they'll take their message and they'll blast it out on Twitter, Instagram, You know, the same thing across all those platforms. And it's really not good because you have to understand that Gen Z uses each platform differently. And those that are sort of adapting the message or using certain platforms for different ones rather than the same thing blasted across all of them are the ones that are being more successful in connecting with Gen Z. Yeah,
0: and it's coming back to Um, your hyper-customized yeah. Interpretation yeah, yeah. It comes
1: back to that. You know, the other thing too is if you're spending more on experience, you know, that doesn't mean they're not going to buy things. That means if you're a retail, you got to turn your retail shop into an experience. That's comes AR comes into that. You know, virtual reality in the front of the store, being able to paint your own shoelaces, you know, whatever it is, they're going to come back if they had a good experience. Otherwise, you know, could they go buy it online? Yes, but our data shows still um, between the two, it's really close, 52% prefer in-store to the 48 online. So basically it's right down the middle, but a lot of people think they only want to shop online. They want to go to brick and mortar, but it's got to be an experience.
0: Yeah, the online is definitely part of the process. It's the research, but yeah, the experience is what brings the real value.
1: One of our seven traits that we talk a lot about is what we call fidgetal. And the fidgetal is that This is a generation that sees no line between the physical and the digital world where the rest of us have sort of blurred the line between the two. They see no line. So that plays out in every sector, you know, whether I'm loading something into the cart in the store or loading to a cart in Amazon, same thing, whether I'm showing up in class or watching it from my screen, I'm in class, same thing. So you have these things, you know, suddenly, so now we have comes to the marketing. And too often what you have with most brands is they've got a brick-and-mortar strategy and they've got an online strategy. And it blows me away how I'll talk to someone, oh, you know, that's our e-commerce division. And they're not even in touch with the store division. It just, it's crazy to us because they should be one and the same. One of the smartest brands that I think at this is Warby Parker, the eyeglass. You know, if they measure something, they don't measure whether it's online or in-store because, as they know, customers can have more than one touch point. So I may go into a store, try on a pair of glasses, take a couple pictures, and be like, yeah, I like these, you know, and then go home, show my friends the pictures. they no, 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 too pointy. They go online with these round ones. Oh, I go in the next store, I try in the round ones, and I buy them. So it was it? an in-store purchase or is that an online purchase? You know, Warby Parker wouldn't care. Gen Z wouldn't even notice the difference. Well, I did see them online. I guess I gave the credit card in the store. It's like, it's, that's gonna impact marketing for sure.
0: So to kind of sum this all up, well, we're living in a multi-generational society and each generation brings their own qualities. What are some things we can keep in mind, especially for the workplace, to facilitate cooperation and communication between the different generations?
1: Uh, Well, one one thing is just to respect generational differences. Yeah. So what I mean by that is, you know, it's not, uh, you know, if you look at Gen Z, it's not out with the old and in with the new. It's here's Gen Z, where will we click and where might we clash and let's try to see what we can do about those clashes. So a lot of it isn't just saying, well, that's the way it's always been done, Gen Z. It's, well, that's the way we do it here, that's why you can't, you know? And if Gen Z pushes back, that's not disrespectful, that's them trying to innovate. That's great, and if our answer is, well, that's the way it's always been done, well, shame on us, is what I would say. And so I think part of it is that they all need to have a voice at the table. We still need boomers who have been there and done that, they have seen a lot. They're the most competitive two generation. They're all still our most optimistic generation. This is a generation that believes we can make it better. That being said, the other side in the spectrum, we need extra skepticism. People don't like my generation's skepticism yet. We need it because my generation is going to say, "Yeah, but what if?" And what if sometimes keeps us out of trouble. Millennials need to collaborate, and you know, still truly being a generation pushing for meaning and passion. We need that. And then now Gen Z is going to come along and we're going to need their tech savvy. We're going to need their innovation. I think they're how they look at digital and work-life blend. It's going to be awesome. It's those that really open up the door to all voices. And that's what makes you know this topic so interesting and why people you know can talk about because it's one of the easier forms of diversity for people to put on the table.
0: Right, right. And it's also very quickly obvious if someone young and fresh face comes into the office and the differences are... There's a physical marker.
1: Yeah, but let's be clear. I'm also not trying to stereotype. You no, know, Anyone who challenges a theory in generations, does this apply to every Gen C-er or is every single extra skeptic? No. But we've done, you know, there's enough of us who have done enough research to say that events and conditions result in a certain personality or trait. And understanding that personality trait isn't putting people in a box. It's like taking the lid off the box to do a better job of recruiting them as employees or... getting to them as
0: customers. So just to highlight the the key points again, so we've talked a lot about Gen Z as a consumer, Gen Z in the workplace as well. What would be the key takeaway for corporations in the Asia Pacific and for Gen Zers themselves about heading into the
1: workplace? Well, I think, first of all, one thing we do know is it's the most globally similar generation. So what we find is that if you're reading data on Gen Z, it tends to line up pretty globally. But what I will say, China and India measure higher. So if the U.S. came in at like 60 percent, China and India on a number tend to come in at like 70 or 80 percent. Competition, desire for customization on a job, push for technology within a company, All of those came in high, but even higher within China and India. So I would just say that as you're looking at numbers, if you're wondering how does it apply globally. The other thing I would say is this Gen Z, they're not millennials. I mean, at a just fundamental level, someone who's now your summer intern or graduating from college is a new generation. So get to know them and get to understand, this is a great start to a conversation, but what are the events and conditions that shape them? And the ones we covered today is, you know, we do have a very realistic generation who's in survival mode that, you know, salary's top of the list, so getting back to some basics. A generation who's so comfortable with technology where the line between physical and digital isn't blurred, it's been completely eliminated. It's also a world that's been, everything's been customized. So factoring that into how can we recruit them, what does the job look like, what does our culture look like, what's the office look like, is gonna be important at least to be able to talk to them about it. Doesn't mean, again, out with the old, in with the new, it just means talk to them about it. And then also, you know, it's a good time to take note with what's going on with the other generations because oftentimes all the conversation can feel about millennials, 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 Gen Z. And if you're a boomer or an Xer, you're like, yo, what about me? I'm still putting in a lot of time here. And so making sure that those voices still are heard.
0: Great. Thank you, David, for joining us. Thank today.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: It's been great. So that's all we have time for today on this episode of Typhoon Talks. Follow us on Twitter at Typhoon Buzz and on iTunes and SoundCloud at Typhoon Talks for podcast episodes. And also please visit our website at typhoonconsulting.com for more industry points of view. We hope you'll join us again next time.